0: Okay.
1: Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn when, well, just about anything can happen these days. I mean, it used to all be confined to this time of night, you know, when Art did his classic show and we began, what, five years ago, six years ago. Good grief, we've been on the year six years Amazing. He how didn't start tonight. the
2: darn screen um, connection.
1: Tonight, we're going to have a really extraordinary exploration of weird stuff going on at the bottom of the world. But before we get to that, let me uh, kind of talk about some stuff that's happening a little closer to home. Uh, one of the things that uh, today is March 6, 2021. It's the 40th anniversary Forty years ago tonight, Walter Cronkite, my colleague and the guy I worked for at CBS News and kind of went to the moon with, in a metaphorical sense, um, gave his last show on CBS Evening News. He signed off uh, 40 years ago tonight, and news and journalism have never been the same. Um, if you go to the other side of midnight.com, that's our homepage, and then click on tonight's banner featuring what's going on in the Antarctic and uh, for uh, <clears throat> March 6th, click on that. That will take you to the guest page and click on fast items under the banner at the top of that page. And that will take you to my items. And item number one is a very intriguing analysis. <clears throat> on the Hill, in the Hill, I should say, which is a publication covering Capitol Hill and Washington and politics and all that jazz, kind of reminiscing about uh, what journalism used to be and how the three major networks uh, basically stuck to the facts, you know, James Webb, the facts, ma'am. We have long since departed from that era and there were only two times in his very long and illustrious broadcast career where Trunkite, um ventured an opinion. One was uh, when he came back from his trip to Vietnam and basically said in contradiction to the powers that be and McNamara and LBJ and the Defense Department and the White House public relations machine that... Um, We were not going to win that thing, it was a lost cause. The other time was when Spiro Agnew was um, indicted for corruption and President Nixon had to uh, find an alternative for the vice presidency and that turned out to be Gerald Ford. And in, in decades of being on the air, those were the only two times I can remember that Walter expressed an opinion and an analysis during his news shows, which of course is a far cry from what passes as journalism today, because it is so hard now to separate opinion and speculation. And I hate the word, but we'll use it. Conspiracy theories. Remember there are good conspiracy theories and bad ones. The good ones have evidence. The bad ones are, you know, they're basically kind of just floating in the ether somewhere. And the art form is to tell the difference as to which is which. So you might want to check that item out. It's uh, for those of you who are a little older around the world. um, Cronkite did not earn the moniker the most trusted man in America for nothing because he spoke the facts and did not give his opinion. Item number two. There's something very curious going on and I think it's connected in part to what we're going to be talking about tonight. And I know to the extent that one can know anything these days, that it's connected to what we're going to be talking about tomorrow night. We're assembling the gang again. We're going to tell you the latest news on, on the NASA from Mars. And I strongly believe that tonight's story, item number two and tomorrow night's coverage of the uh, continuing Uh, Perseverance Mission, are in fact related. Now, how could that be? What is the Pope visiting a rock, which is basically Sumer, which is the cradle of modern civilization? I'm using the words modern in quotes, you know, 6,000 years, given the span of history and the sweep of extraordinary artifacts on other planets that are involved with this planet. Um, I can use the term modern in a very real sense, because 6,000 years is but an eye blink in cosmic time. Um, The thing that's interesting is that, um, as you know, we have currently three missions at Mars tonight. The NASA Perseverance mission, which landed a couple of weeks ago, and which is now successfully uh, transmitting back extraordinary data, really extraordinary from the surface of Mars. And again, the next chapter in that soap opera will be here tomorrow night. But in the larger sense, it's the other two players that are currently in orbit around Mars that are part of a panoply, which I think is behind, this is going to sound speculative, sorry, Walter, <laughs> the Pope's visit to Sumer, to Iraq. Because the two other nations which are orbiting tonight upstairs over Mars as Perseverance is pursuing its beginning's exploration, is the United Arab Emirates with their uh, unmanned spacecraft Hope, which is going to be in a very long elliptical orbit for the duration of their mission, surveying primarily the weather, the atmosphere of Mars. Remember, last uh, weekend we presented some evidence that the atmosphere of Mars may not be exactly like we've been told. Oh, my gosh. Really? Oh, oh, Call stop the presses. Oh, my God. No, the atmosphere of Mars may, in fact, be a lot different than we've been told. And we'll go into that again tomorrow night with some new data, new news. What I try to do is to move the ball forward and present you with new information that you then put into your blender and stir well and come up with uh, possible solutions so the pope after really many many years of wanting to go to the middle east and primarily to iraq and being turned down on previous visits because it was literally a war zone he is now visiting has been there for a couple of days is going to be there another day or two longer and tomorrow i think it's tomorrow He is going to visit the city, the ancient city of Ur, which is termed the cradle of civilization. Ur is where we get the term urban, urban. So, okay, cradle of civilization. What else is associated with the rocky city of Ur? Well, it's the birthplace in the Bible in all the three major Western religions of Abraham and going back to Mars for a minute and the two missions which are orbiting upstairs the uh, United Arab Emirates mission and the Chinese mission don't forget the Chinese focusing now on the on the hope mission from the UAE um, the nation state of Israel and Russia in concert with the European Space Agency We're also supposed to have a fourth spacecraft in the mix, in orbit around Mars tonight and equipped with a lander. But because of technical difficulties, they couldn't make the window. Remember, you can't go to Mars any old time you want. You basically have to wait. Every two years, there is a trajectory that opens up and you can cross between the worlds and that lasts maybe a month, month and a half. And then because the distances involved involved in speeds with rocket technology, primitive rockets, you have to wait for the next bus to come along, meaning you have to wait two years. So they missed this window. What's so interesting is that right after that occurred, and the UAE successfully last summer launched their mission to Mars, the United States, in the form of the Trump administration, brokered an agreement between Israel and the UAE and Bahrain. And there's going to be, we're told, additional Arab nations signing on to this agreement, which is called, of all things, the Abraham Accords. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? Because if and when the discovery that we're not alone, yawn for the mainstream if and when that announcement is made and it might be made by this administration and uh, there are some clues coming out of the Biden White House one really amazing clue that I'm going to save I'm going to tease you mercilessly tonight and you're going to tune in tomorrow night and I will tell you what this major huge clue is coming from the Biden White House that there could be an announcement of what is sitting on the planet Mars. Because this is kind of like that old joke about being a little bit pregnant. Once you admit to the reality of ancient artifacts, ancient structures, a succession of ancient civilizations elsewhere than this planet, then everything changes, including who are we, really? And how do we get here? and is is there a clue or more than one set of clues in the story of Abraham? and is that why Israel is suddenly making peace with more than one Arab nation, and they're all collecting their 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 identities to be part of the Arab mission to the red planet tonight called Hope through this Abraham Accords, which by the way, specifically obligate the signers to the treaty or the agreement. It's not really a treaty. It's more like an agreement to share scientific information. And of course, that means that UAE must share its data from its mission to Mars with Israel. Did you ever think you would live so long? Okay, moving along. Item number three in my section tonight. Remember the way you get there. Go to our uh, other side of Midnight URL. And then once you get there, click on tonight's banner uh, regarding the Antarctic. And for, for March 6th, that will take you to the guest page. Click on My Items under Fast Items. That takes you to my section of Radio with Pictures. Scroll down a bit. Item number three. This is This is so weird. I'm not sure it's going to be relevant to our conversation tonight, but I can think of a connection, and we'll get into it. We got three hours. I mean, I really like long-form radio because it gives you time to develop evidence and evidentiary leads, and they sometimes can lead places where you would not imagine. In the last few days, it has come out. Uh, well, I, I, I should, I should enter this from a different doorway. Okay. Tonight, the Senate approved the Biden administration $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. The American, uh, um, I forget, it's, it's uh, basically a rescue plan for the economy, for you know, viruses, to get schools up and ready, to get back in shape for the fall, a whole bunch of stuff. It's, it's a significant amount of money. It covers so many bases. That happened tonight. Now the bill will go from the Senate back to a conference committee between the House and the Senate. And in the next few days, it is expected it will be voted on again in the House. It will be approved. And then the president will sign it. Well, while all this is going on, it came out in the last few days from a source, which was very close to the Trump administration, an employee of the White House, that in January, between... Um, The sixth uh, insurrection and the 20th inauguration of the new president, the Trumps, Mr. and Mrs. Trump, Donald and uh, his wife, got vaccinated by one of these three leading now available vaccines. We don't know which one, but they didn't do it publicly publicly. One of the interesting things as they tabulate the the list of people who have what's called uh, vaccine hesitancy, people who are dubious about vaccines and, you know, have inhibitions uh, about taking them and all that. And we will deal with this when we do the vaccine shows, because we're going to do more than one. Remember, I lived with Robin, who was very anti-vaccine, but not exactly for the reasons you might imagine, so we'll get into some of that when we get that particular show or shows on the road, but it would have been so beneficial in combating the current statistics that we already have communities who are very uh, with good reason hesitant about taking you know a, a vaccine produced by you know white honkies, namely the black community. remember Tuskegee remember how treatments for syphilis were deliberately withheld from black populations decades ago. So, you know, black Americans have every reason to be suspicious of a um, government-developed vaccine with corporate involvement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the hesitancy rate in the black American population is somewhere around 34%. You know what group is even higher in terms of real resistance to taking this vaccine, white Republicans, 56%, more than half of white Republicans are saying they will not take the vaccine. But the guy who led them, the guy who was most visible, who was their leader, who many of them believe should still be president or is president. I mean, the the rabbit hole gets very deep very quickly. They are going off the fact that, you know, Donald Trump throughout the entire pandemic in the last year of his presidency refused to wear a mask, was very hesitant to talk about vaccines, except that he was setting up something called Operation Warp Speed to develop one. But they never developed the infrastructure to distribute it to Americans who could use it. And so one has to wonder uh, a lot of questions there. It would have been so useful for the Republicans who hang on every word of the former president if he and his wife had gotten vaccinated, like other politicians, in public. Now, you can say that he legitimately had resistance, like Robin had resistance, to vaccines. But in this case, his public demeanor and his private actions are absolutely at loggerheads, 180 degrees apart. So he and his wife got vaccinated secretly, not using the bully pulpit of the White House and as the leader of the country and of the other major political party to basically say, this is a good thing, this is a positive thing. this is, And you can, you can, you can cut the hypocrisy with a knife. Why would he privately, secretly, I mean, this didn't come out for like two months. Why would he vaccinate himself and his wife and not publicly do it in a way that would, that would lead? And again, I have asked this question both rhetorically and then literally over the last four years. Why did Donald Trump, in the view of a lot of people, do everything wrong, this being only the latest? Because there's no rational reason why, if he's going to get vaccinated, he's not going to tell anybody as president and lead, These are major mysteries that obviously we're not going to solve tonight. But I leave it out there because there is a connection between the inexplicable actions of the Trump administration on the whole COVID-19 thing that may actually wend its way into our conversation with my guests tonight. So, without further ado, let me go to my guest. And uh, I think we're going to be in for a very interesting evening. Uh, Brad Olson is the author of nine books, including two in his esoteric series, Modern Esoteric and Future Esoteric. He's an award winning author, a public speaker, a radio show host of the Esoteric Circle, a book publisher. And event producer. His keynote presentations and interviews have enlightened audiences at Contact in the Desert, Awareness Life Expo, the 5D events, and dozens of radio shows, including Coast to Coast, Fade to Black, Ground Zero, and of course, The Other Side of Midnight. And you can read his biography there on the website. I'm going to ask some questions. But Brad, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. Mr. Olson, unmuting. Helps.
0: That is unmuting.
1: (laughs) Hey, Richard, thank
0: you. It's great to be back and hear your voice. Thanks for having me on. I always enjoy our
1: talks. Well, the last time you were on, we kind of ended on a cliffhanger because you'd taken your significant other, Emily, through the Straits of Magellan under the most extreme weather. Uh, and in, 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 engendering profound seasickness, and we're getting a little feedback, so we only want to cut that out. And we left it that we don't know if you guys are still together. <laughs>
0: oh, well, we're not together anymore in that sense, but we're both still alive. Okay, and it was the uh, Drake Passage that we crossed over that was really difficult. The Magellan Straits are just uh oh, oh, like a river, you just we took a car ferry over to get to Terra del Fuego and then onto a ah, sailboat see. out of Ushuaia.
1: I see. Well Taylor, yeah. why don't we back up and, and you know, given that bio was kind of sketchy. How did you get interested in the stuff we're gonna talk about tonight? Notwithstanding that we're gonna talk about the Antarctic. You've been a world traveler and explorer and a you know, polymath and the term I like to think of myself as a generalist for many, many, many years. What got you into looking off the beaten path for evidence of truth?
0: Yeah, that was really by traveling around the world. And now I've been to all seven continents. So it really does give me a worldview perspective on many of these esoteric subjects I write about. So it started out with uh, wanderlust, just wanting to see the world. I've been pretty much traveling my entire adult life. First, uh, starting out backpacking around Europe, right out of college. I couldn't believe it when I when I finished business college at Illinois State. All my co students were saying, "Why aren't you going to career day? You should be getting a job." Like, no, I'm going to go to Europe and travel and see the world. And then that led to uh, a three-year trip around the world when I was teaching English in Japan. And it it was magnetically drawing me to these incredible locations around the world, as everybody does when they're uh, traveling. You go to Agra, India, you're going to go see the Taj Mahal and the Red Fort. And then these places, Richard, and I'm sure you've done it when you've traveled, they just speak to you. They're the story of humanity that unfolds as you explore around and see them and then some are just so drenched with mystery for example the Great Pyramid in Egypt that we're still trying to figure how that worked entirely so these things led me uh, then eventually to this journey down to Antarctica a little over two years ago uh, combined with four months in uh, South America as well Uh, and, and these trips Give me a lot of material in my new book, Beyond Esoteric: Escaping Prison Planet. I have a lot of information about this Antarctica trip, most especially the Nazi base down there, which I know you're very well versed in, and hopefully we'll talk about that tonight. And just uh, all the mysteries of the world that you see when you're traveling, and bringing it all together into this great human experience. And. People at conferences, they say, well, what do you write about? What, do you, what are your books about? And they say, you're, you're a big picture guy. You're, you're taking the whole view of everything combined from uh, mysterious archaeology to uh, our old history that has been edited out quite a bit, all the way up to this modern age and all the things that are going on. And like in your setup piece about the hypocrisy of vaccines and, and so forth about living well, and just just this human experience. So in a nutshell, it, it started with travel, and then it's just really my general curiosity and understanding of how the world works that has driven me to write these three books in the Esoteric series.
1: So when you started traveling, you were primarily a tourist, and then the places kind of sucked you into who built them, What was the real history? Why did these people vanish? Why isn't the real story known more widely? In other words, did you kind of evolve into asking the unasked questions?
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. That's how it happens. You start as a tourist. You're buying your ticket to go see a place. And this led to the series of books I wrote before the Esoteric series on Sacred Places, and in the introduction of those books, I always recommend people go to these locations. It's great to read about them or see a video, but you really get to the meat and potatoes when you're at the site, and you just find a quiet corner and look at this beautiful monument and meditate, however you get in touch with yourself or the surroundings, and let the story just unfold, and that's what this travel to these sacred places really taught me and then using them as a bridge to understand this greater picture of humanity and the the role we play in it in this incredible age we live in right now where we're seeing so much uh, unfolding. All that has been hidden is now being revealed. And I would say that going to sacred places and traveling around the world is part of the big picture. It's seeing how the world really is in real time
1: mm. you know I, I i came in through the different doorway because robin and i went around and we visited a lot of these sacred sites but uh, my my mission was to measure the physics the hyperdimensional torsion field with a detector that i built modeled on uh, one that my friend bruce de palma had created back in the 1970s with digital technology now we could do things That he never imagined and so Robin and I got on airplanes and got on ships and got on all kinds of conveyances and went all these places so that I could actually measure if they were unique and I can report they are unique. There are energies, there are forces that science can now measure and that fit into a larger meta model of reality and how the universe works itself that we have the extraordinary uh, um, you know, honor of being able to go and do. But then you get, you get exposed to the local myths and memes and the intimations of the cultures. And that, of course, opens other doorways and other questions. And it, it, it basically is, is, a, is an expanding progression. What was the central theme of your visiting these sites that you came away with?
0: That everything you find at these sacred places, including mountains and beautiful settings that Native Americans held in high revere to the monuments of our past, it tells the story of the human race. It tells our whole narrative in the best possible light. This is what humans were able to achieve. This is their monument to a god, to... uh, to their belief systems, to their religion. I mean, look at the uh, Gothic cathedrals of Europe, Michael, or uh, Richard. They're just (laughs) amazingly complex and beautiful structures. And when you're inside of one, you're just amazed at all. All the little things that start coming out, the acoustics, the stained glass windows and the light that comes through. So it's just, you learn about the greatness of humanity when you can travel and go to these places. And that's why I don't include war sites or locations where massacres or terrible things have happened to other people. I don't look at those as sacred sites at all. They're interesting in a historical perspective, but it's not the, the best that we have achieved. And that's what I find when I go to these sacred places.
1: Mm. Have you been to Göbekli Tepe?
0: No, I have not been, and that is a recent dig. You know, that's only, what, 20 years now that that's been known and and able to go to, but certainly turkey's on my bucket list, and (laughs) I would also like to go to Cappadocia, not too far away from there, where the whole underground city is carved into that soft sandstone. Have you been there?
1: No, no, we didn't get there.
0: But you went Um, to Gobekli Tepe. That's amazing.
1: Well, see, the reason I mentioned Gobekli is because uh, we have a, a colleague who lives in Turkey, uh, Tim Saunders, and he's been trying to get me to go over. I mean, when Robin passed, it it, 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 it isn't the same. I have to be very honest. It's, it's really not the same because there was a resonance to our doing this together that is now, of course, missing. And mm. At some point, I will probably get to Gobekli Tepe, but even looking at it from afar – it's obvious what the, those structures were designed to do, because those those fi- those freestanding kind of T-shaped figures in the middle of the oval enclaves of Göbekli Tepe, yeah. those are those are limestone tuning forks. Mm. Those were resonant chambers. You mentioned with the cathedrals, the music. It's all yep. about resonance. It's resonance with the human. Um, Field, resonance with the human spirit, resonance with the human environment, resonance, if it's done the right way, triggers, you know, tremors in the force, the field itself, the background torsion field, which reality is made from as our science has progressed. And so these ancient cultures, they look to our 21st century eyes to be, quote, primitive. In fact, their science and what they understood about how the environment interacts with humans was profoundly different than ours and much more advanced. And, of course, modern folks look at ancient cultures like, you know, down their noses. Oh, they're primitives. They, they don't have, you know, smartphones. Big deal. They had something much more profound. They understood what kept life worth living itself
0: yeah profound and let's not forget what uh Nikola Tesla said if you want to understand the mysteries of the universe think in terms of vibration frequency and sound that were these things are very important and when when we start to factor them into much of how these cathedrals and ancient sites were built it just raises the bar that much higher And we're looking at high civilizations that knew that. So Gobekli Tepe, one of the oldest archaeological sites in the world, now with this kind of profound advanced technology built right into the site, what does that tell you about ancient civilizations? They weren't quite the savages that they were portrayed to be, but actually brilliant scientists who were very much in tune with the world.
1: Well, you know, it's, it's really a measure of your guess when you completely blow by a break. So what I'm going to do is take a moment here. We'll take a pause. My guest this morning is Brad Olson. We're going to be talking specifically about the bottom of the world uh, as a segue from ancient civilizations and ancient cultures and sacred sites all over the planet. And in honor of our visit tonight to Antarctica... I'm going to be playing something for one of my favorite classical albums. A guy named, uh, well, let me see, Vaughn Williams. And uh, this I haven't heard in quite a while. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. An adventure awaits. A sparkling desert of ice. But what's under it? What stories does it conceal? And who is looking at those tales to be completed now? We shall return.
2: Approach to it has been of course from this academic scientific side to try to show that from that point of view that even in the in the depths of the of the data that they're presenting they don't have a case they've misrepresented things they've distorted things in the public representations and of course I'm not alone in having come to that conclusion number one there are an increased number of deaths for 2020 but number two these are not caused by COVID-19 they're caused by the biological and psychological effects of the lockdowns themselves because when Mm -hmm. you lock people down when you wreck an economy you get an increase in heart disease, in cancers. You get an increase in what is called deaths of despair. Uh, You get suicides, you get drug addiction going up and overdoses killing people. And all of these things put together, by my estimate in my research paper, shows that as many as 600,000 people died in 2020 from just these things, deaths by despair and the effects of the lockdowns and the forced masking. This is Dr. James DeMaio, and I'm speaking to you from the other side of the news. Your program, I must say, compliments you. You're doing a great job in assisting to get around these barriers of censorship and erasure that the mainstream media is doing. Uh, So it's very important, and I congratulate you for the work you're doing. I'm an invited guest on the other side of the news and I found it to be a very enlightening and helpful and wonderful experience being interviewed by three intelligent people.
1: And welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight for this Saturday, March 6th, 2021. um, I just want to make a small editorial ellipsis here. Uh, That was Dr. James DeMeo, who has been a colleague and has been on this show, The Other Side of Midnight, many times. He appeared on Friday night uh, on The Other Side of the News, which is kind of our companion broadcast. And uh, many of the things that are stated on the other side of the news, I do not agree with. But I do believe firmly, categorically, in something called the First Amendment. And so I believe that presenting both sides, or more than both sides, because there's usually more than one set of evidence supporting one particular idea, is vitally important to an ongoing discussion and a search for what we elusively call truth. Brad, I want to kind of segue, because uh, Jim was saying something very interesting there. There is a very large number of people, huge spots of people, who think that the entire COVID-19 thing was is a total insane hoax, that it's a super-level plot with multiple intricate, complex interactions, designed to achieve all kinds of, you know, level and ends that there's no real pandemic at all. As you heard Jim say in the promo that, you know, yes, hundreds of thousands of people have died, but they haven't died from the virus. They've died from, co- you know, collateral damage due to political actions, lockdowns, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. I vigorously disagree. And I'm going to present opposing evidence when we, you know, do the, vaccine show because I've been quietly accumulating data, which is pretty amazing. One of the most amazing things is all of these deaths reported not only in the United States, but from around the world, from 190 some countries, are all rising and falling in an extraordinary seven day repeating periodicity that is as relentless as a metronome. Tick. Tick tick, tick, every seven days, the death rate spikes. Seven days, it spikes again. Seven days, it spikes again. It's like something is driving human beings all over the world per this virus to die in synchronization on opposite sides of a planet that they have never come in contact with each other because they can't. Now, the larger question which this whole COVID 19 experience may be revealing, but we don't have statistics because no one's had the money to tabulate deaths all over the planet uh, in, in, in terms of other diseases like cancer, like pulmonary diseases, like heart disease, et cetera, et cetera. Wouldn't it be incredibly interesting? And I'm so hoping that there will be research funds devoted to this after this, you know, pandemic winds down. If all deaths all over the world, regardless of the cause, are synchronized in this extraordinary seven-day repeating pattern. Why is the pattern itself so exquisitely intriguing? Because seven days encapsulates the idea of seven. And at the heart of the hyperdimensional torsion field model. And the torsion field is really another name for the ether. Um, You have this seven symmetry spins of the tetrahedron, which is emblematic of the vorticular connection between our 3D reality and higher dimensions. And there's a gestalt there that real science must step in to fill the vacuum, to fill the gap, to provide answers But one of the things I'm strongly suspecting is that life and death on earth have been repeating interminably in a seven-day periodicity from time immemorial modulated by those rhythmic changes in the field. What would have been called in an earlier era the life force or the vitality index or whatever. And... One wonders if if knowledge of that could be applied to 21st century medicine in the way that application of drugs or treatments for disease might be a lot more effective if it's delivered within that seven-day window at a precise time, and if you do something to a patient or try to help a patient at another time, there are forces working against you So you need to figure out the science of going with the flow, doing things that are helpful, that are part of a resonance pattern, getting back to the idea of music in cathedrals and the resonance acoustics of the structures at Gobekli Tepe and the structures in the middle that were designed to resonate with, you know, I believe uh, audiences of people gathered together resonating in harmony, literally choral singing to cause resonances in that field that wound up being beneficial for the biology of the beings that were within those chambers exposed to those resonant energies tapped from the field, the torsion field itself. It's so interesting that it all fits together. So let me go back to, to the theory I've been working on which is A, COVID-19 is deadly real, B, that it's been delivered to us by an enemy, by an outside force of human beings who left this planet at the end of World War II using extraordinarily advanced technologies that they rediscovered by pilfering the science and the archives of the agents. I'm talking now about the Nazis and In Germany in World War II and their expeditions all over the world to the monasteries of Tibet to the sacred enclaves of South America to the uh, uh, you know everywhere that they could find ancient records or knowledge science from ancient uh, information they pilfered it they took it home to Germany they used it and we have absolute proof that they developed some extraordinary technologies based on this ancient wisdom and they used them for the ends to which the Nazi civilization was dedicated by Hitler and his cohorts and then at the end of the war some of them left the planet using the gravitational knowledge of how to bend time and space and create anti-gravity and so they didn't have to rely on rockets they took en masse large numbers of people And they migrated from Earth to, well, the moon and Mars in this model. And Richard Dolan was the first to propose this idea. Um, He called it the breakaway civilization model. And I believe that they have always, for the last 70-some years, looked back on Earth, given the environments that they had to inhabit out there, with very envious eyes and planned to continue the war to continue the third Reich with a fourth Reich and there's all kinds of evidence in the money trails that Bormann and and you know his folks were setting up a long-term model to to have a renaissance of the Nazi philosophy a fascist philosophy on planet earth and that leads us to did they in part find ancient knowledge and technologies in the antarctic what is the truth to the rumors that have gone on for decades that after world war two the real reason that the united states sent a a fleet of uh... uh... ships and something like thirteen thousand men and aircraft and oilers and you know reconnaissance patrols and all of this in a kind of invasion as part of something called operation Jump Right after the war, within a year of the ending of the war in forty-five, in forty-six, the president of the United States, after an hour-long meeting in December, where he was very much opposed to high jump and sending, you know, precious resources to explore the bottom of the world, after an hour or two-hour-long meeting with, you know, senior admirals from the Navy, including the uh, key admiral who turned out to be a 33rd degree Mason. Um, He reversed himself. And when the, when the admirals came out of the meeting, he had agreed to cooperate and to support fully uh, high jump. And of course the interstitial reasons have never come to light, but I think they presented evidence to him that this was basically a redoubt, a base, a place of staging for the Nazis. In their ultimate plan to basically conquer civilization after a major setback at the end of World War II. Which brings us to the extraordinarily complex and completely disinformed model of Nazi bases at the South Pole in Antarctica. Brad, having been there, having studied this in detail, what is the truth? <laughs>
0: Boy, you put so many questions in that monologue, Richard, where to begin. Oh, we got
1: three hours. Come on, come on.
0: (laughs) That's right. It's free-form, long interview style. Well, yeah, there is a lot going on in Antarctica and have been uh, heating up in recent years with a lot of the elite going down there from politicians like John Kerry in 2016, right during the election, you'd think he'd be needed up to help his Wouldn't party win. you think win. he would
1: have been someplace a little closer to home?
0: Right, yeah. Why would he have to go down there? Rumors that uh, uh, Barack Obama, right towards the end of his term, was down in Periloche, Argentina, which is a known German enclave and had played a very pivotal role post-World War II, that he went down there as well as Putin in secret voyages, but then other people that were down there in very visible ways. Wait, 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 wait. Putin
1: actually sent the entire Baltic fleet to the Antarctic. And we don't know what that all about. (laughs) Exactly. There's all kinds of rumors that they made a stop in the Middle East in Saudi Arabia and they picked up something and they transported it to the Antarctic. And of course, my question is, were they really transporting it back to the Antarctic where it may have been found as part of U.S. expeditions going back many decades that are shrouded in mystery, secrecy, misdirection, et cetera? I mean, Admiral Byrd, who was the admiral I was referring to, he had an extraordinary polar history. And if you, if you go to uh, my items, uh, we have to go back to the other side of Midnight. Click on tonight's banner, that will take you to the guest page. Uh, click on fast items, that will take you down to items 4, 5, and 6. Click on number 6. You're in front of a computer, right? Brad? I am indeed. Okay. Click on number 6. <clears throat> this is several frames from 16 millimeter film that was shot out the windows of the DC-3 that Byrd and company were flying as part of High Jump in 1946. And as they were flying over a set of mountains, this film shows unmistakable artificial geometry covering the tops of several, quote, mountains. And based on our research into Mars and the discovery of vast Structures called arcologies that basically look like artificial mountains. Mm-hmm. I am wondering if what we're seeing here, exposed in Bird's film, and at the bottom you can actually see where you can get a copy of the film yourself. Well, you can't get a copy from them anymore. They won't. They won't sell it to you. But you. But the. But the film on which the video from which this was shot is based was the Bird film shot in Operation High Jump. And it used to be at a place called Periscope Film. I've had people trying to get access to the original bird film. They will not release it to you, but they will sell it to you at the rate of something like $20 a second, which for the film itself mounts up to many thousands of dollars that very few, if any people want to pay for or have the films funds to pay for. So why is this discovery by bird which is on the screen right now yep. why is it a secret and does it harbor many deeper secrets to a civilization an extraordinary high tech civilization in our relatively recent past which because of the ice and the reshaped mountains in the antarctic maintained libraries and information, and perchance even machines. And that is why the Nazis made a really strong effort to map, to dominate, to colonize, and to explore Antarctica, even as they were preparing for war. So
0: true. And the short answer is, if this information of a civilization in Antarctica under the ice one of the three giant craft that are reported down there, nicknamed by the alphabet agencies as Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria. It's if this were to you. become well-known, um, they would rewrite history, and we would have to rethink everything we learned in history school, in uh, geography, uh, archaeology, and so many others. Uh, but the bigger question is, Why are they keeping us from knowing our real history? And I think it's very akin to why UFO secrecy has been kept under such tight wraps all these years, too, because that would also rewrite history. This is a great picture, by the way, too. And I have seen clips of other bird videos, Richard, and equally telling. You know, they really went after him when he came back from Operation High Jump And they were quite angry that he was as outspoken as he was about what happened down there during the Battle of High Jump, quipping to a Chilean journalist that we may be confronted with an enemy that can fly pole to pole at incredible speeds. Well, Richard, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a news story about any ship to this day, that can fly pole to pole at incredible speeds. <laughs> and this is way back in 1947.
1: Well, uh, the whole bird thing with, the, with high jump was so bizarre because we just come off a major planetary war. And the idea, I mean, when, when you read the press release, it's all about you know the, the Soviet Union, potential Arctic threats, looking for resources, all the usual pablum. But the fact is he took an invasion fleet, and they came back so many months sooner with right. rumors of of confrontations, of battles, and you know, people who say, well, if anything like that had happened, it would be in his diaries, right? Except the diaries are kept at Ohio State, and I guarantee you, if you really want to make a cover-up, all you would have had to have done is to take – Someone who's a handwriting uh, forger, and we know plenty of those, you know, check kiting and all that is a well-established profession. And you basically could have rewritten his diaries and put a copy in the archive and kept the originals if the conspiracy to prevent anyone from knowing that confrontation at the bottom of the world in 46, 47 had ever taken place. Hmm. Remember and you when know, they,
0: high jump is still classified,
1: yes, and when he got to uh i think it was Terra del Fuego, he gave a a, a statement to a reporter, i believe of yeah. the uh, of the Chilean press, right. and he made some very extremely weird statements, and then, when he got to i believe it was Washington, you know um they were waiting for him, they meaning the intelligence community. And he was never quite the same admiral that we used to know again. Right. One wonders what did they do? Was was he programmed to basically forget what he wanted to announce to the world, or was he, shall we say, enlightened as to the okay. downside uh, that his 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 better angels said? Well, maybe it's not time now to, pun intended, rock the boat.
0: (laughs) Or threatened uh, to be suicided like they did to Forrestal. Out of the hospital.
1: Exactly, yes, yes. So, okay, hard (laughs) evidence. you you got evidence, you say. What is the evidence that supports the idea the Nazis went to basically claim our ancient heritage in the Antarctic, and we, the West, tried to go and beat them at their own game, and we left with our tail between our legs?
0: Well, the short answer is there is incredible evidence on Google Earth, especially if you go back into the way back machine to 2013 at a location called Conan Base, K-O-N-H-E-N, which is in the New Schwabenland claimed area. And what they were digging up in 2013 is absolutely remarkable. It is some kind of massive machine. I believe it's one of those three Nina Pinter Santa Maria nicknamed Massive crafts they've discovered under the ice. This one, with the best evidence. And there is matching data points, too, Richard. The Farsight Institute, which are remote viewers, tasked 18. it upon themselves to look at this site, and they did find I'll tell you what, Brad, it is some kind
1: of massive top, machine. We're, yep. we're at the top of the hour. Perfect tease. Let's hold it there. Actual ancient structures... That the intel community following on the Nazis have confirmed that they have raided, that they figured out how to work the physics and create good grief. To create what? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Over and out.